Toyota, Disney, IBM, and Airbnb all have in common. They were started during or right after a crisis. Whether the Great Depression, World War II, or the global financial crisis, major struggles have led visionary founders to build some of the world's biggest, most durable companies. So what will we build out of this? You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Kelsey Warner, future editor. Joining me to discuss opportunities emerging from this crisis, founder and general partner at UAE venture capital firm Global Ventures, Nor Swede. Hi, Nor. Thanks for being with me today. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. So before we get into it, I just want you to kind of just frame up for us Global Ventures remit and what's in your portfolio. Global Ventures is a venture capital firm across the region. So we invest in companies that are based um, in the Middle East and Africa that are focused on regional and global problems and that are really global mindset founder led. So people looking at how can we change the world? How can I build something that applies everywhere? And how can I even make the world a better place using my technology and my solution? And can you highlight some of the companies that Global Ventures has invested in maybe more recently? Yes. So recently we invested in a company called Altubi, which is in health tech, and uh, Proximy, which is also in health tech, um, and Helium Health, which is also in health tech. So we've been very focused on healthcare inclusion and digital health. Um, And we've also invested in fintech companies. Um, So we have Paymob, uh, Tribal, and a few others. And we have also done food delivery solutions um, and also kind of across software and mobility. So you wrote in an op-ed for us recently that the future these days is cloudier than it is clear. And this feels true, but what is the data telling you about investor appetite in the UAE? And I guess more anecdotally, can you kind of dig into what's been getting done on Zoom and Teams and like all the rest from your vantage point? Absolutely. So investor appetite is um, increasing and I think that people are excited about what's out there. So whereas things are cloudy and not so clear, that is in itself an opportunity, an opportunity to learn about new sectors and to invest in what might become. So that that in and of itself is a great perspective for an investor to say, okay, so the current pandemic has shifted things. What does the future look like? And how can we reimagine some of these industries and sectors Um, And who are the players and the founders that are addressing some critical challenges around the world by using technology? How do we invest and back them? So that's the thought process. And and people are happy to to go through that thought process and learn and research over Zoom, over Microsoft Teams, over all of these platforms. And we found that they're actually also happy to invest over these platforms. Right. So I think the expectation this year was that maybe investors might be in a hold position or maybe be slower to allocate funds. But what have we actually seen this year in the UAE? So we've seen a doubling of the amount of venture funding that's been deployed across the region on last year, which was a massive number on the year before. So we are seeing an increase in investor appetite into technology and technology solutions that properly disrupt industries. Whereas I think before, investors 
were still contemplating, you know, how how disrupted is healthcare going to become? How disrupted is education going to become? And these sorts of things were very unclear before as to how the, the level of disruption in these industries, including things like future of work and robotics and mobility. I think now there is certainty in that the answer is they are going to be massively disrupted. And the only question is how and by whom. It's interesting that you're basically making the point that 2020 has had a clarifying effect. It's sort of a refreshing perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has in a way. It kind of took the, is it going to happen to, yes, and here it's happening and look, there you are. And, you know, and what now, right? Like, who is it that's going to really lead in telehealth? Whereas last year, the question was, is telehealth going to ever pick up and will it exist in five years? I think we have a very resounding, yes, it's here to stay. And it will actually be one of the factors of increasing healthcare inclusion for people who don't have it. So it feels to you like a time for really embracing all the technology that's underpinning our lives, kind of whether that's financial services, healthcare, food security, like really just the the just backbone of what gets us through our days and keeps us alive underpinned by technology. So every company these days is a technology company, which is why we've got fintech, health tech, agritech, uh, all the techs. But what are you say- seeing that has actual staying power beyond this like sort of monkey mind we all have this year in this crisis? I think there's staying power in areas where we have heavily underinvested as a region. So if you take a look at healthcare and health tech, we have 1.2 doctors per thousand people. And Europe sits at four doctors per thousand people. You know, and so when you think about health, health specifically, that under under availability of doctors will not be solved by graduating another, you know, hundred thousand doctors in the next two years. That's just impossible. It's going to be solved by giving more people access to these doctors in a more efficient manner that is more cost effective. So now you're solving the access problem of healthcare. And so that is something that's here to stay. It has staying power. And healthcare being, you know, what we believe to be a fundamental right for for people. So then the question becomes, how do we do this? And, And it's about a permanent shift in patient behavior. Whereas perhaps a year ago, a patient may have said, I don't want to see a doctor virtually. Now they're happy to. A year ago, an insurance company may have said, I don't want to pay for a doctor virtually. Now they're saying, no, we like telemedicine. And the regulator is also embracing everything digital health. So these three behavioral changes have created a permanent inflection point and people saying, okay, This has been a massively underserved industry and underinvested in industry. And even globally, healthcare is an industry that is always slow to adopt new technology and change. And so what COVID has done is just accelerated the technological adoption in this industry as as well as some others. And when you think about going back pre-inflection point, back to 2019, and compare that now to the current reality, can you reflect a little bit on how you're relating to and connecting to investors or sorry, founders these days? How's the dynamic between founders and investors changed this year? So I'll tell you what we did during COVID, like in 2020, and I would say the second quarter when when you know we were all physically confined, we decided to create a virtual community. And so what we did amongst our founders was create a weekly call where everybody got together and we would tackle one topic at a time. So questions like, 
how do you downsize but maintain culture, which in April companies were downsizing because they weren't certain what was going to happen. Um, and we would address that with an industry expert, a global industry expert on a call. And we would just have our founders on there and our investors were always welcome to talk about this or, you know, other questions like, you know, next year, if you're still around, which we're hoping all of our founders will be, you know, what is it that you're going to look back at and say, I wish I had done X and Y differently. And those learnings from people who are actually, you know, scaling and managing companies in prior crises. So really the ability to create this virtual community of our founders, even though everyone is physically distanced, was fantastic. And I would say that if I take a look today versus a year ago, our founders are actually much closer together, not physically, but, um, but more connected. Um, and they turn to each other more and they have more access to our investors because of the regularity of these virtual interactions. So I would say that if I look back, I say, I don't know how we would have accomplished this otherwise. It's always been something that's important to us is to create this community. And this has actually been an opportunity in a way. Really interesting. And so putting yourself in the shoes of maybe a founder that you haven't met yet or isn't yet part of your community, how to pitch in a time like this. So what are you looking for and what advice would you give to founders who are seeking capital these days? Um, so it's it's very similar to always in terms of we're looking for founders that are solving real problems. I think the definition of real problem has changed. Um, and we're looking for founders that are driven and motivated by solving the problem, not by creating a valuation. So we always say, we always ask, you know, are they trying to create value or valuation? And I think it's important for founders to think really big. Are you solving a problem for Dubai, for the UAE, for Abu Dhabi, for Saudi, for the region or for the world? How is the technology competitive? And why is what you're doing important? And who is it important to? So those are the things that we really look for intrinsically. Um, and that enables us then to try to understand the company that the founder is trying to build and to see how, if we can support it. Some of the biggest tech companies these days aren't yet profitable. What is your kind of personal belief around path to profitability and what do you look for from companies that are pitching you? So it depends on the type of company. Some of the companies are not profitable or are growing very quickly. They need to spend a lot of money on marketing. They're usually consumer facing um, and they're capital inefficient. I think in the region, because of the lower amount of venture capital funding compared to global standards, founders build efficient companies and sustainable companies from their early days. Their first client or customer is much more important than their first investor. And, you know, we see as the amount of venture capital funding in the ecosystem increases, we like to believe that founders will maintain that and continue to believe that sustainability is an intrinsic part of what they're doing in terms of building a company. Um, and at the same time, you know, enterprise tech companies, which is what we focus on, tend to generally be more capital efficient. So I really think it depends on the business model and your customer and how capital efficient or inefficient you can afford to be. Also depends on how much capital there is in your community. That's interesting and segues right into my next question, which is access to capital access to money for small and medium-sized businesses and startups to get going and achieve liftoff. This access is often identified as one of the biggest hurdles for founders, particularly in this region. So last month, 
The new NASDAQ Dubai growth market was announced to help SMEs raise capital through an IPO. What do you think of this move and what else do you think can be done? All paths to liquidity are important. So whether that means it's a trade sale or whether that means it's an IPO um, is is irrelevant. There just needs to be a path to liquidity because that inspires investors to put in increasing amounts of capital. And I think that the path to liquidity is always um, an interesting way to think about how much capital is already in this ecosystem and at what levels of risk is this capital happy to invest? So when you see a lot of early stage investors, they're happy to invest early stage. A lot of investors are happier to invest later when there's less risk, there's more revenues, maybe even profits, as you alluded to earlier. So really the amount of capital that gets put into each part of that life cycle of the company varies depending on the risk appetite of the investors in the region. Um, you know, I think IPO markets are important, but they're not the only path to liquidity. Okay, quickly, before I let you go, biggest lesson learned of 2020? Um, Putting you on the personally, spot. Personally, personally, personally or professionally. Personally or professionally. <laughs> and honestly, has the, have the lines ever been more blurred? <laughs> I think that the, the lesson learned is that it's always quality over quantity, whether that's the amount of time spent at home with children the type of company you invest in, the type of founder you back, quality will always trump quantity. Nora Swede, General Partner at Global Ventures, thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. Here are some of the other stories at thenationalnews.com. British retailer Debenhams is set to close after failing to find a buyer in last-ditch efforts to rescue the chain of department stores. Shanghai replaced London as the most connected city in the world, according to the latest rankings by the International Air Transport Association. And Tony Shea, the retired CEO of Zappos.com, who revolutionized the online shoe industry, has died. He was 46. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that's left is to thank our producers, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. And thank you for listening.